Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Part-time pilot is well worth the money. It definitely was for me as a full-time worker with other obligations outside of my job. The content being made available online through audio and video format as well made for a great and flexible learning experience. It definitely helped me pass my FAA written. Thanks, Nick. Hello and welcome everybody to the Audio Ground School podcast. My name is Nick Smith. You just heard from Demetrius who took our online course and gave a little audio testimonial for those of you out there who are still thinking about which online ground school you want to get. We have a lot of testimonials and reviews at trustpilot.com which you can go and check out like Demetrius. So don't take it from me, take it from those people and go check that out. Again, that's trustpilot.com. Just search for part-time pilot. All right, so today's episode is episode number 27 of the Audio Ground School podcast where I go through every single lesson of our online ground school in audio format for you guys and make it free on this podcast. Again, if you don't like hearing you know, these testimonials, the occasional ad here and there, you can listen to this. If you're in the online ground school, we actually provide these lessons these audio lessons to our members without any of the ads or mumbo jumbo before it just the lesson part inside their bonus course so that they can just get to listening right to the lesson so if you don't want to hear me babble on about other stuff in my life or testimonials or trying to uh, make some money for my living then you can go ahead and join the online ground school and listen to those lessons without any of that stuff all right so with that said we are on, I said, episode 27. This is going to air on January 30th. I just have one announcement that I want to make is that the deadline is February 1st. So that's February 1st is the last day that you can apply for our $1,000 scholarship. We do about four of these a year, trying to make that more. But right now we're doing about four of these a year. And this next one, the deadline is February 1st. So again, you have to be a member of our online ground school. Once you're in, go to from your dashboard, go to my memberships, click on your online ground school membership, and then scroll down and in the description, there'll be a link to the application. You just fill out the application, follow all the rules at the top of the application. It's a short application. So just go ahead and do that and do it before February 1st. So that's just in a, one or two days. So do that. And then we'll announce the winner a couple days later. So go ahead and check that out. Make sure you apply to that scholarship. And then also we have a Facebook group called Find Ways 
to pay for flight training. So go ahead and check that out. I'll put that in the show notes. It's kind of around this promo we're doing on our free how to become a pilot and save money course, which is actually included in your online ground school membership if you join. But we're doing we're giving that out for free right now. So that and basically go step by step how to become a pilot, but also tips to save time and money as well as lists of scholarships. And this group on Facebook is kind of going to be sharing that information inside that group and then also allowing people to network other people to give ideas about how to pay for flight training. Maybe you can find a partner to ride share with ride share to the airport with or ride share actually in your lessons with or buy a plane together i've seen students you know four or five students pool their money together buy a plane that they can train in so that's what that goal of that facebook group is so go ahead and check that out again i'll put the link in the show notes so those are the few updates i had in this episode we're going to start section six of the online ground school so if you're following along in the online ground school we're in course step two it's it's titled step two online ground school private pilot lessons is where all the private pilot lessons quizzes images and all that are and in section six we're going to start on national airspace system we just finished up section five on weather weather theory charts and information and now that was a long one and we're finally done with that so i'm ready to talk about something else and that's going to be the national airspace system another really important section particularly you know, both for flying in general, you got to know that really know this stuff and on your check ride. But the FAA written loves to ask questions about it's probably the most one of the most asked about topics is stuff around airspace, weather minimums around airspace requirements, equipment requirements in airspaces, which we're all going to cover in this section on the national airspace system. So we'll get into class alpha class Bravo, Charlie, all those we will even talk about VFR, IFR, and special VFR definitions, special use airspace, and then we'll do a review at the end. So in this first lesson, we're going to talk about VFR, IFR, and special VFR during the weather theory lessons. We mentioned VFR, IFR, special VFR. If you've never heard that before, I mentioned when I mentioned it that, you know, don't worry, we're going to cover that. And now's the time that we're going to cover that. So you get an understanding. It's basically tells you a level of the weather. And then if you're a, if you're just a private pilot, you have to fly in VFR. And if it's IFR conditions are worse, then you have to have an additional rating on top of your private pilot's license called instrument rating or IFR, which stands for instrument flight rules. But we're going to get into that in lesson one. And then we'll probably also get into lesson two and cover the first class of airspace, class alpha or class A airspace. And then that'll probably be all the time that we have because the next one after that will be class Bravo. And that's kind of a big topic. It's one of the more stringent airspaces out there that you might encounter as a private pilot or student pilot. So we're going to, we got a lot to cover on that one. So we'll probably save that for the next episode. Without further ado, let's get into that now. Lesson one on VFR, IFR and special VFR. Before taking off for any flight, every pilot must understand the airspaces that he or she will be traveling through while en route. Each airspace has specific rules concerning the aircraft equipment, pilot ratings, ATC compliance, and minimum weather requirements. There may be more than one airport within an airspace, but there will be one airport designated as the primary airport. Any other airport other than the primary inside the airspace is considered a satellite airport. Departing from either a primary or a satellite airport requires the pilot to establish and maintain communications with the departing airport's tower. If the departing airport does not have a tower, then the primary airport's tower is to be contacted. 
airspace system designations are used throughout the United States in order to standardize airspace classifications with other countries. So that's kind of a lot to, to cover right there already. So let's take a step back and kind of dissect that a little bit. We talked about primary and satellite airports. We're actually, we have a designated lesson for this a little bit later that's gonna cover this in more detail. So don't worry about this if you don't fully get this right now. But basically in airspace, is a three-dimensional space around an airport or the United States, okay? And they're, they're usually found around, based around airports. And so you have a, a base of, you have a base altitude, and then you have a ceiling altitude of the airspace. And then you have a, you know, a dimension, a horizontal dimension across the ground that makes up a three-dimensional air space in the air. And when you're inside that airspace, you have to abide by that airspace's rules and you have to talk to that airspace's controlling ATC. So that's where the primary and satellite airports come into because you might have a primary airport, like a big airport that has a big airspace for all these big jets coming in and you might have a smaller airport that has like a that's within that airspace area so that would be called a satellite airport and if that satellite airport doesn't have a tower then you have to contact the primary airport's tower if it does have a tower you got to talk to that and then you kind of have to communicate your your transition in and out of each airspace so that's kind of what we're talking about there again we'll get into more detail about that but that's what I meant there. And then just general on the airspace system in general, airspace system designations are used throughout the United States in order to standardize airspace classifications with other countries. So I want you to remember that that is actually a question on the FAA written. Their airspace system designations are used throughout the United States in order to standardize airspace classifications with other countries. VFR or visual flight rules are a set of regulations under which a pilot operates an aircraft in weather conditions generally perceived to be clear enough that the pilot can see where they are going. IFR or instrument flight, flight rules is the other set of regulations established by the FAA to govern flight under conditions in which the flight by outside visual reference, aka visual seeing, being able to see outside visual references is not safe and therefore a pilot should rely on their instruments for navigation and flight control. The only time a VFR pilot can fly in IFR conditions is if they get special VFR clearance from the air traffic control or ATC tower. However, VFR pilots cannot get special VFR at night unless they have an IFR rating. So you have to have VFR conditions. So at all times, there is a designation placed on the weather conditions at a specific air area. It's either VFR, IFR, or there's some in between, which we'll get to, or there's a special VFR, what we're talking about. As a private pilot, you can fly in VFR. You cannot fly in anything other than VFR, except if you get a special VFR clearance from that control tower that you're flying, you know, at the airport that you're flying out of. So, and then on top of that, once it's at night, special VFR is just the same as IFR. So private pilot can only fly VFR unless it's a special VFR and you get permission from ATC and it's during the day. 
So when given clearance for special VFR in the day, the minimum weather condition is one statute mile flight visibility, as well as remaining clear of clouds. So clear of clouds means just you can't fly through a cloud. So you just have to navigate around clouds as you see them, and then you have to have visibility of one statute mile. That means you have to be able to see something clearly one statute mile away from you. Some airports will specifically, and this is for special VFR in the day, some airports will specifically not allow any special VFR, or you might see this on a chart as SVFR, that stands for special VFR clearances, and they will list this near the airport information box on a sectional chart like in this figure below. So I have an example in the online ground school. You see Tampa International Airport, and above it has no SFVR. And it has no SVFR, which stands for no special VFR. So some airports, you might also want to check the chart supplement or AFD to see if there's no notes on special VFR in there as well. There are other designations such as marginal visual flight rules or MVFR or low instrument flight rules, which is LIFR, which are slight variants of VFR and IFR. MVFR needs to be flown in with caution if you are a VFR pilot. MVFR can be very dangerous for someone who is used to flying clear VFR skies. LIFR tells even the most experienced of IFR pilots that they may have a difficult time landing because the visibility is basically non-existent all the way to the surface. Here are the conditions required to call conditions either VFR, MVFR, IFR, and LIFR. Now remember, the ones we want to focus on here are just VFR and IFR. MVFR and LIFR are good to know. They just give us more information as a pilot so that we can apply our personal minimums to this. For example, for me, if I had an MVFR designation in the area I want to fly, I'm not going to fly, even though technically I would be allowed to fly as a private pilot. All right, so let's get to it. First, VFR. VFR weather is considered ceilings greater than 3,000 feet AGL, and that's above ground level, and visibility greater than five miles. Now remember, the definition of a ceiling is the lowest broken or overcast cloud layer or vertical visibility into an obstruction. Okay, so you have to have a ceiling greater than 3,000 feet AGL. That means no broken or overcast cloud layer has to be either has to be 3,001 foot or higher right it has to be greater than 3,000 feet AGL above the surface it has to be higher than that the, the first ceiling you know again either broken or overcast for the first that's the first thing to be VFR and then the visibility has to be greater than five miles so that means when you when you look diagonally through the air there can't be dust particulates fog all that such that you can see at least five you can see a building clearly five miles or an obstruction five miles away from you so let's repeat that one more time to be vfr you have to have ceilings greater than 3,000 feet above ground and you have to have visibility greater than five miles the next one is mvfr and we're going kind of in order of weather right so the, the more we go the worse the weather gets in these so mvfr is marginal vfr it's considered ceilings from 1,000 feet to 3,000 feet agl and or visibility three miles to five miles so again you see that it's a little bit less than that vfr student pilots are not allowed to fly mvfr but private pilots are allowed and again i have a personal minimum where i don't fly mvfr i just fly vfr now i'm working so i have a note here 
private pilots should really consider if it's worth it to, to not fly in optimal VFR conditions when they're not practiced in MVFR or IFR conditions. It's probably not worth it. That's why it's one of my personal minimums. IFR weather is, so we're on to the next one. So we had VFR, MVFR, now IFR is considered ceilings from 500 feet to less than 1,000 feet AGL. So between 500 and 1,000 feet above ground, have to have the ceiling when the ceilings between that range that's going to be considered ifr and or visibility one mile to less than three miles so if either of those conditions occur if visibility is two miles then you have ifr even if the ceiling is three thousand feet right or on the opposite side if the ceiling is 750 feet agl but your visibility is 10 statue miles then again you're still ifr and that logic goes for, for all of them, VFR, MVFR, IFR, LIFR, right? So for MVFR, we had ceilings between 1,000 and 3,000 feet AGL and or visibility three to five miles. So it's either either condition. If either condition is happening, then it's considered the lowest level of visual flight rules. So if uh, you have, so MVFR, visibility three to five statue miles. Let's say we're MVFR in terms of visibility. So it's four statue miles. So that's like MVFR, but our, our ceilings are less than a thousand feet AGL. Let's say they're 950 feet AGL. That puts us in the IFR category. So that makes it IFR. So if either one of those are IFR, then the conditions are IFR. If you know, whatever the most stringent condition is, that's what it's going to be. So it's that and or logic that we're talking about for ceilings and visibility the final one is lifr so that's low ifr it's considered ceilings less than 500 feet agl and or visibility less than one mile so let me just cover these again these are the definitions that you'll want to remember you'll definitely want to remember the vfr and ifr and then mvfr and lifr you can kind of fit between these so vfr is ceilings greater than 3000 feet agl and visibility greater than five miles greater than 3000 feet agl greater than five miles you got vfr then under that between a thousand and three thousand feet agl for ceilings and between three and five statue miles visibility you have mvfr and then again private pilots can do both mvfr vfr student pilots vfr only then you go to ifr that's 5,000 feet to, a th- to less than 1,000 feet AGL and or visibility one to less than three statute miles. So 5,000 to 1,000, not including 1,000, and then one to three miles, not including the three miles, that's IFR. And then below that is LIFR, and that's ceilings less than 500 feet AGL and visibility less than one mile. All right, now that we have these definitions, I just want to remind you that the definition of a ceiling, so when we're talking about, I already mentioned this, but I'm gonna say it again, is the lowest broken or overclass layer or vertical visibility into an obstruction. Remember, that's what we say when we say ceiling. So when you say ceiling greater than 3000 feet AGL for VFR, we're talking about the lowest broken or overclass layer or vertical visibility into an obstruction. Now, you may be thinking, these are not the weather minimums I remembered for VFR flight inside airspaces. You may have, you know, learned some things about airspaces and you know that, well, okay, there's like different requirements depending on the airspace. So, so what the heck, how, how do these relate? Well, you're right. They're not the same. The weather minimums listed above are the overarching set of weather designations that if not flying in an airspace would be accurate. Airspace weather minimums further confine the designations depending on the airspace you are flying in. For example, if you are flying in an airway, then you are flying under Class E airspace rules, 
and would obey the VFR weather minimums for class E, which are different than the basic VFR weather minimums listed above. Visibility greater than three miles and clearance from clouds of 500 feet below, 1,000 feet above, and 2,000 feet horizontal. So it adds some requirements depending on which airspace you're in. That was an example for class E, and we're going to go through all of these, right? So you might have, let me give an example. You might have VFR conditions where um, you have 3,000 feet AGL and visibility greater than five statute miles. But if you are unable to meet the VFR weather minimums for your airspace, for example, if you're unable to stay 500 feet below, 1,000 feet above, and 2,000 feet horizontal distance from clouds when you're climbing out or, or descending into an airport, then you can't meet those minimums for that airspace and you're technically not able to fly in VFR conditions for that airspace. So it adds a little bit more requirements, stringent requirements, depending on what airspace you're in and what the conditions and cloud situation is in that airspace. All right, so in the following lessons, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna go over each airspace class Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, and even Golf, and talk about the associated VFR weather minimums with those and even how to kind of memorize these because it is a lot of information. We have some mnemonic devices and tips and tricks to, to get students, help students with memorizing those things. And we'll also talk about the required equipment you have to have and other rules associated with each airspace. And then uh, once we get all that, we're going to do a, a big review because again, it's a lot of information and we really want to uh, dive down and, and get that rote memorization for you guys so that you guys can remember this for your exams and, and, and further. So we'll, we'll cover it all and then we're going to even review it and give you some tips and tricks on how to memorize this stuff. So, But first, before, before we move on to that next lesson, which is for class alpha, I want to do a little quiz for you guys, and I'm kind of going to do this throughout these airspace lessons because, like I said, again, it's a rote memorization thing. So I want to maybe give you guys some quiz questions and, and repeat myself a lot so you guys hear it a lot and hear it in different ways to help you guys with the memorization part of it. So we're going to do a, a quiz on what we just covered, the VFR, IFR, and special VFR. And I'll kind of pause between each question, give you, if you're listening in your car, on a walk, or whatever, will allow you to think about it and, and maybe come up with an answer yourself, and then we'll talk about the answer. But first, before we do that, I want to take a quick break. I need to get some water, and you guys might want to listen to this little uh, spiel I have for something you might need for flight training that I think could be useful and save you guys a little bit of money. So I'll catch you guys after the break, and we'll get into the quiz. Hey pilots, it's Nick here from Part-Time Pilot. Did you guys know that you didn't have to spend $1,200 or $1,000 or even $600 to get your very own pair of headsets? Now, when I first heard of Core Headsets, Core Aviation Headsets, I heard from a friend. I had to check them out myself because he said he only got them for $100. And at the time, I was borrowing from a pair of David Clarks from my flight school and I was borrowing these broken down, they, they always had issues and they were always sweaty from the previous student. So I was very curious. I ended up getting gifted a pair of Bose headsets, a $1,200 pair of Bose headsets, but I still wanted to check out a pair of core aviation headsets. And I was super amazed at the amount it compared 
to my expensive Bose headsets. And it made me think, you know, I was gifted those Bose headsets, but I would never have, especially as a student pilot, bought something so expensive at the beginning of my training career. So these are the perfect flight headsets for a student pilot or a private pilot. And you can get the P1 version at coreheadset.com. You get a P1 version for $109.99 right now. They're having a sale. And, or you can get their KA1 version, which I just bought another pair because I want to see what kind of updates they've made, even though my previous KA1s are still working today after three years and I've never had one single comm failure with them. Anyways, the KA1s are also on sale on one, at $194.99. You can get your brand new quality headsets and it even comes with a five-year warranty. And then the best part about all of this is I already told you it's on sale and they have free shipping but you can get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code PARTTIMEPILOT. That's PARTTIMEPILOT with no spaces. Use the coupon code to get 10% off free shipping plus the sale that they're already having for your very own quality pair of headsets that I myself recommend, highly, highly recommend for a beginner headset student pilot. So go check that out at coreheadset.com. That's core with a K, K-O-R-E. H-E-A-D-S-E-T, that's coreheadset.com, and use the coupon code PARTTIMEPILOT. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Okay, welcome back. So like I said, we're going to do some quiz questions. I'll give a, I'll give you the question. I'll give you the answer options that you would get like on an FAA written exam. And then I'll give a, I'll pause for a little bit, let you think about it, maybe 10 to 15 seconds. So try to come up with an answer in 10 to 15 seconds. If you can't, I know, you know, you're probably doing other things. If you're driving, please pay attention driving, but try and come up with something, you know, and, and think about it to help with the learning experience. So, and then I'll, and then we'll talk about the answer after 10 or 15 seconds. All right. So can a VFR pilot get a special vfr clearance at night options are yes no and only if they are also ifr rated all right i'll give you a a few moments who list likes jeopardy i'm a big jeopardy fan i i don't do the best at jeopardy but if the the categories are just right you know like things i like then i can go on a run <laughs> that's nothing special who, who can't do that but, all right so that's enough time can a vfr pilot get a special vfr clearance at night the answer is only if they are ifr rated now this might have you grinding your teeth right now because you might think no answer option no is also correct and yes you are technically correct and this is what the faa written might do to you is they don't want the correct answer they want the most correct answer so that's frustrating i know but technically if you said no a vfr pilot cannot get special vfr clearance at night because to get special vfr clearance at night you have to have an ifr pilot rating that would be technically correct if you said no but there was an answer option for only if they are also ifr rated and that is the most correct answer frustrating i know but i wanted to do that example for you guys because that is an actual fa written question that you need to look out for all right for our next question what flight rules are in effect if the cloud ceiling is 900 feet agl and visibility is two statute miles your answer options are a mvfr b ifr or c l ifr 
All right, so what flight rules are in effect if the cloud ceiling is 900 feet AGL and visibility is two statute miles? The answer is BIFR. Remember, IFR weather is considered ceilings from 500 feet to less than 1,000 feet AGL and or visibility one mile to less than three miles. In this case, we have both those conditions met, right? The ceiling is less than 1,000 feet AGL and 900 feet AGL and the visibility is between one and three statute miles at two statute miles. All right, let's move on to the next question. What flight rules are in effect if the cloud ceiling is 2,500 feet AGL or 2,500 feet AGL and visibility is four statute miles. You have option A, VFR, option B, MVFR, or option C, IFR. What flight rules for a ceiling of 2,500 feet AGL and visibility of four miles? VFR, MVFR, or IFR? All right, so the answer on this one for ceiling of 2,500 feet AGL, visibility four miles, is option B, which was MVFR or marginal VFR. Marginal VFR was considered ceilings from 1,000 feet to 3,000 feet AGL and or visibility three to five miles. So that puts us, our ceiling is 2,500 feet AGL and visibility four miles. Again, both conditions are met in this case. So that's an easy one. And we have marginal flight rule, visual flight rules or MVFR. All right, let's look here for another one. Uh, a ceiling is defined as lowest broken or what other type of cloud layer? A, clear, B, scattered, or C, overcast. A ceiling is defined as the lowest either broken or what, either clear, scattered or overcast cloud layer. What is a ceiling defined as? All right, shouldn't need too much longer to remember this one, but a ceiling is either broken, it's the lowest broken or overcast cloud layer. All right, so the answer was overcast. That was your third option, option C. Let's move on to another one. The airspace system designations used throughout the United States a makes our airspace system more complex than it is in other countries b standardizes airspace classifications with other countries or c separates all ifr and vfr operations again the airspace system designations used throughout the united states a make our airspace system more complex than it is in other countries b standardizes airspace classifications with other countries or c separates all ifr and vfr operations give you a few moments i'm not going to do the jeopardy sound anymore <laughs> i think that's been played out all right the answer is b the airspace system designations used throughout the united states standardizes airspace classifications with other countries it's always better to have something standardized so when you're flying over a border things don't flip on you really quickly so that's why they do that and it helps to have that standard procedure, standard rules. Okay, so a couple more here. What ATC facility should the pilot contact to receive a special VFR departure clearance in class D airspace? Again, what ATC facility should the pilot contact to receive a special VFR departure clearance in class D airspace? You have A, automated 
flight service station, B, air traffic control tower or ATC tower, or C, air route traffic control center, ARTCC. Give you a few moments for that. What ATC facility should the pilot contact to receive a special VFR departure clearance in Class D airspace? All right, the answer is option B, which is air traffic control tower. So the, the primary tower, the one that you are required to contact for in that Class D airspace to get clearance in that airspace, you know, that controlling ATC, that's who you contact and ask for a special VFR departure clearance. All right, let's do one more here. What flight rules are in effect if the cloud ceiling is 1,100 feet AGL and visibility is two miles? So 1,100 feet AGL for the ceiling and visibility two miles. Your options are A, MVFR, B, IFR, or L, C, LIFR. So MVFR, IFR, or LIFR for ceiling of 1,100 feet AGL and visibility two statute miles. I'll give you guys a couple seconds. The answer is option B, IFR. Now, this is a little bit of a trickier one. IFR is considered 500 feet to less than 1,000 feet AGL and or visibility one mile to less than three miles. And we had 1,100 feet AGL, so our ceiling was actually above the range for IFR. So we were in MVFR ceiling range, right? That 1,000 to 3,000 feet range for a ceiling. We're at 1,100 feet, so we're in that MVFR range for ceilings, but our visibility was below, right? So the MVFR for visibility is three to five miles. We're at two miles, so we're actually in the IFR range for visibility, so we go with IFR. So remember, it's and or, either or for visibility or ceiling, whatever that is, you choose the most more stringent designation. So that would be IFR. Okay, so let's move on to lesson two of section six in the online ground school. And this is on class alpha or class A airspace. We're, we're just gonna go in al alphabetical order, class alpha, bravo, charlie, delta, echo, and golf, which is A, B, C, D, E, G. And um, so we'll start with class alpha, and after this we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up, and we'll save class bravo, which is kind of a big one for the next episode. So again, it's a quick one, but let's get to it. Class A or alpha airspace is not marked on sectional charts. So you, you'll see that class bravo, class charlie, class delta, even class echo is not marked on sectional charts. Class golf, this is like class golf or class G, that's also not marked on sectional charts, unless well, sometimes it is, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. But class alpha is not marked in sectional charts. However, class alpha extends from 18,000 feet MSL, mean sea level, to flight level 600 or FL600, which is 60,000 feet MSL. So whenever you, we say flight level, it's usually written as FL and then three numbers, and it's in hundreds of feet. So Again, hundreds of feet means you add two zeros to whatever the number is. So flight level 600, add two zeros to that, you get 60,000 feet. So from 18,000 feet to 60,000 feet, VFR flights, or sorry, that's class A. Continuing, VFR flights are prohibited in class alpha airspace. Now, you as a private pilot, when you first get, you know, these sing single engine aircraft, your aircraft is going to have a service ceiling way less than 18,000 feet. So your aircraft won't even be able to get that high. So no worries for you there. It won't be until you get into more complex aircraft, more complex ratings for your piloting. When you go, even when you go above 12,000 feet, 
you're going to start needing supplemental oxygen and things like that. We'll get to that later. So everything changes the higher you get. You as a general aviation pilot, single engine aircraft pilot with VFR, you don't really have to worry about that. But VFR flights are prohibited in class A airspace. So that basically means you have to have an IFR rating to fly that high. And there's there's rarely people with VFR ratings who are trying to get that high is what I'm trying to say. So, But it's just good to know and it, it will be something that you might be tested on. So VFR flights are prohibited in class A airspace, which is above 18,000 feet MSL. Aircraft flying in class alpha airspace are required to be equipped with an operating mode 3A or mode S transponder, automatic altitude reporting mode C, and automatic dependent surveillance broadcast out system or ADSB out. ADSB out is required for all aircraft following January 1st, 2020. So we covered this when we went over the aircraft systems and we talked about transponders and their requirements. We'll, we're going to cover again the transponder requirements because it kind of has to do with airspaces. So we'll do that after we go through the airspaces. We'll talk about again the transponder requirements. But if you want to go revisit that audio lesson, you can go ahead and do that. It talks about what a transponder is and how it works. But in each airspace is going to have a specific requirement for the radio and the transponder that you need. Obviously, the airspaces are designed for different types of environments. For example, class Alpha is for an environment with large jets. Class Bravo is for like, you know, large, all sorts of aircraft and various altitudes and near airports and with a lot of traffic. So it changes what kind of information ATC is going to need from your aircraft. And that changes the type of transponder you're going to need in your aircraft. So the ATC has the information they need. Now, um, I'll just cover it again. Class Alpha, you need an operating mode 3A or mode S transponder, out, automatic altitude reporting mode C, and ADSB out. So mode 3A or S, mode C, and ADSB out. All right, so that's it for Class A. Pretty simple. Not much we have to worry about for BFR private pilots, right? We're not going to get above 18,000 feet, but it is good to know, you know, you need mode 3A, S, C, and ADSB out transponder stuff. BFR flights are prohibited and class A starts at 18,000 feet. All right, so that's it. That's been this lesson. Thank you guys for listening. We will get to it again next week. And remember, if you haven't applied to our scholarship, you got to be a member of our online ground school. But the last day to apply is just in a couple days, February 1st, 2023. So get your applications in. It's in the online ground school. Go to your dashboard. Go to my membership. Click on your online ground school membership and scroll down. You'll see the link in there to apply. Get those applications in. And we'll, uh, just in a few days, we're going to announce a winner of our next $1,000 scholarship. We give out about four a year. So go ahead and do that before our next episode. And actually, you know what? We're going to announce the winner during the next episode. So be sure to to come check that out so you can hear if you want or not. But again, the, the deadline is February 1st. And in, in our next episode, we're going to cover start off on lesson three, uh, section six of our online ground school which will be class Bravo. Then we'll get into class Charlie. And if we have time, we'll get into class Delta airspaces. So we're going to cover all the requirements, visual flight rules, all that stuff. And we'll even do some quizzes to help you guys with memorization. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Hope you guys have a great week and make sure to apply for those scholarships. Join the Facebook group that is designed to help you guys try and save money and network around here. I'll put that link in the show notes because I announced other scholarships as well. So go check that out and hope you guys have a good week.
Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24 seven, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, 
We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic, again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons, you can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos, or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.